welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. So, well, okay, we don't want to overdo it, but the fact is we've got this pandemic going on, if you hadn't noticed. COVID-19 has brought a lot of major changes and challenges to our lives. Thank you, Musos. Um, You know, some of us got more stress on our finances. Uh, Some have had their work life altered. Some have even lost their jobs or their businesses. Others are feeling uh, the emotional pain of not being able to visit with their relatives or loved ones in other states or other countries. Some people are just missing out on the long-awaited holiday. Maybe they've lost money from the deposit that the travel insurance doesn't cover. And others are fearful about the actual virus and being vulnerable to it. Or they're worried about Oh, the government restrictions and, and, you know, are they going to be increased or lifted or when and the, our regular routine has been upset. So it's understandable there's a lot of stress, fear, anxiety present and prevalent in our society today. In, in our society today. And, and, and the media don't make it any easier, do they? Uh, because they know that bad news sells and, uh, and it gets worse for people in their heart when they are glued to the news 24-7 because they just keep hearing all the latest reports and dramas and forecasts about how bad things could get. In fact, here are the headlines, just a few from this last week from some of our major newspapers. These are the main words that you would see if you had bought a newspaper or gone online. Nation deep in the red. That's the budget deficit reference. Might a vaccine have side effects? Wow, you wouldn't want vaccine to be a good thing, would you? you? You've got to find a negative twist for that one. New South Wales, at greater risk than Victoria. Really? Okay. Uh, surge in new cases. Death toll spikes. God help us. That were the, they were the three big words, and of course he will. Um, And then just yesterday, the front page of a national newspaper said this, home, alone, and in hell. Talking about people in nursing homes. And TV is no better. Have you noticed that when you watch the news on television at the moment, there are always three components that you must have. One is breaking news banner because that gets your attention and and builds up the adrenaline and the fear. So it's flashing or shining or going across, breaking news, breaking news, with the latest stats or whatever. The second thing is it's always a lot of red, because red captures your attention. So it's breaking news in red or red somewhere, big banner. And the third thing is the eerie, scary little floaty things that are always floating around behind the newsreader. You know, that ind- indicating the virus. It's almost like it's going to come out of the screen and get you. There's a, it's always, you see, coronavirus. There's like little floaty. Anyway, 
it's no wonder that the manager at my local post office, when I went to pick up a parcel the other day, said, um, she said, what, what's, what's going on? I said, how do you mean? Like, out, she goes, yeah, I, I don't, I, I've stopped watching the news. It built up too much anxiety. I'm not watching it. I don't know. I don't want to know. She's just shut down in her little post office and going home. And so this is the culture of the world that we live in a culture of fear and stress and worry. And it's not just COVID-19 that has brought this about and made people feel stress. For some people, the pace of life can get to them. They may have a job, that's great, uh, but they're rushed and feeling hurried in their spirit because they've got so many responsibilities and they're running around, juggling everything. A well-known writer had this to say, we have a growing culture of hurry of indecent and perspiring haste, which wants to get everything done at once. But get this, do you know who said this and when they said it? That's not a contemporary commentator. That's not just a problem for today's age. That was written by the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who wrote that in 1880. So we've always had hurry and rush and worry and stress and things to get concerned about is something about the culture of the world that we're in. But there's another culture, and we're talking about kingdom culture. And um, we've had a screen that you... There we go, kingdom culture. Um, and, and so in God's kingdom, the culture is infused with faith and not fear, with hope instead of worry, with uh, uh, internal and eternal peace instead of, uh, you know, rush and anxiety and stress. And, and this, is, this is how we are called to live. This is the life that pleases and blesses God because it helps shine his light out into the world. There's darkness out there and he wants us to live with his culture influencing us so that our light shines. His light shines through us. And this, so this is not a time for Christians to cower in the corner and just hope that Jesus keeps us safe or to complain about the restrictions and just wait for things to go back to normal. This is the hour for the church to rise up, to be strong, to shine, to take the cover off our light so that people actually take note and see, oh, Jesus is living on the inside of that person. They might not articulate it that way, but then that's the ultimate goal that they figure out that's what it was. What's the cause of hope? Why is this person not stressed and worried? Why are they at peace? Why are they okay? Why have they got a, a stable keel in their ship of life, if you like, and that they're not you know, being uh, turned upside down, capsized? And, uh, and so then we can point to Jesus because this is his will for people to find him. And, and so we are called to be bearers of good news rather than you know, just... Amidst all the bad news, the good news should show up and the light shines when the darkness is, is, uh, is pervading around the place. And so kingdom culture is not just for us to enjoy, but for us to bring as influence into the world around us. And that's what we've been talking about, um, uh, you know, bringing heaven to earth, bringing God's will on earth as it is in heaven, as that tag says and as you may recognize that is in what we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus called us to pray. And so today I want to look at how God's kingdom culture is one of peace and rest 
and security for those who choose to come in under his rule and reign rather than living with stress and worry because that's what the world is cultivating around us and can get inside us. I really appreciate, like I said, the service already Ruth shared over communion and the worship song that we had really leans into this theme. So let's go to one of the most amazing promises and invitations that Jesus ever gave us in Matthew 11. And his words here, very powerful, may be familiar to you. Verse 28, three verses, reading from the NIV. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wow, come on, let's unpack this a little bit. I want you to notice, first of all, what does he say? Come to me. Here's the invitation. But the onus is on us. Whether we respond to that invitation, whether we approach him or not. Now Ruth talked last week about the kingdom of God having a king and how entrance into that kingdom begins with submission to the king, submission to his rule, with renouncing our own right to rule ourselves. You can rule yourself. You don't have to enter his kingdom. You can have your own little kingdom, but it's kind of hopeless. But we just pretend that it's great. and We're the king, yay. But we are better off entering into the kingdom and submitting and, and uh, obeying and surrendering to the king of kings. And, so, and, the, and here's the amazing deal. This king is not overbearing. He's not aloof. He's not distant. He's not unapproachable, but he is gracious and kind and loving. And he sends us this invitation and says, come to me and, and, and I'm going to help you. I'm going to fill your life with love and strength and wisdom and forgiveness and joy and peace and everything that is needed for a wonderful life. We receive that when we come to him. But as I said, the choice is ours. We've got to decide to come to him. And sadly, so many people don't. They, and yet, they have no idea what they're missing out on, but they think they do. And they're sadly, strongly confident about who Jesus is and their views about him, the opinions that they've picked up. Maybe they, you know, had a bad experience with one of his representatives, a church or some person representing God. Or they've just picked up third-hand reports about him and, and then just run with that kind of view. But we've all got the opportunity to personally experience Jesus firsthand, have an encounter with him. And, of course, that encounter is an ongoing invitation for us who have already met him, not just to kind of know him a little know him just enough, but to follow him, to walk with him. And so here's this constant, wonderful invitation. Come to me, says Jesus. Come to me. And look what happens. When we come to him, we find that just as he promised, he gives us rest. Look, he mentions it twice in two sentences there. Look at that verse again. Can we keep that up? Jesus said, I will give you rest. And then he says, you will find rest for your soul. And the Greek word used there can be translated as refreshment as well as rest. You, can get, ah, you get refreshment for your soul. That's a, it's a wonderful picture. This is what we need. This is what people around us need. 
We need a, not, a, not, not a stressed soul, but a refreshed soul. A soul that is resting at peace, that is calm amidst a storm. Just as Jesus was. Because he always carried himself with, with purpose and with peace. Even with chaos going on around him. People trying to kill him. Crowds, people loving him, but too many of them just swarming him. Others getting cranky and wild and just threatening. And there's a lot of stuff going on. And he was never hassled, didn't have his feathers ruffled. He was just calm, at peace. Have you ever watched a movie where the hero uh, has to blow up the enemy's camp or drug den? And, you know, they stalk around at night and, and they set the explosives and then they... Light the fuse if it's an old movie, but in more recent time, just press the mobile phone or something. And then what happens? What do you see? Unlike reality, where you would go, quick, watch out, an explosion, you just run for your life, you know. No, no, no. They always walk towards the camera with the explosion in the background, slow motion, with dramatic music, and the explosion goes off, and they are totally unruffled. The explosion goes, none none of that. It's just kaboom and they just keep walking. Cool. As they walk away and there's pieces of shrapnel flying past them. The drug dealer's limousine explodes and lands a metre to his left. There's a body ah, flying past him and he just keeps walking coolly. Don't you love those scenes? Well, that is you. You are Denzel Washington. You, you can be Denzel Washington. You can be Keanu Reeves. You, Jasper, you may be, we're going old school here, you can be Rambo. I'll give you a war you won't believe. Adrian. Oh, no, that's Rocky. Same character. <laughs> same voice, same acting. <laughs> just different. They just moved him. Uh, um, that's real old school, but you know there'll be a younger version of that. But honestly, this the, this is you. You have rest in your soul, not in your circumstances. And let's face it, sometimes our circumstances, all hell seems to be breaking loose, and you feel like you're in some crazy movie like that with explosions going on. And there you are, just walking, because you got the Prince of Peace living on the inside of you. Okay, so you can be in a state of calm and peace in spite of crazy chaotic circumstances, because of Jesus, because of his invitation, because of us coming to him. And notice what he says. How do we find this rest? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Well, a yoke was, of course, understood by the initial listeners and readers of what he said, because they lived in an agricultural society. And as you probably know, a yoke was used. It's like a brace that they would make out of wood. They'd put over two oxen to work together in the fields. And they would get an older, more experienced ox coupled with a young ox that might not know exactly what to do and how to do it. So the young ox might be wanting to wander off and do its own thing. The older ox has not learnt to go straight to go at the right pace for the farmer to plough the field. So the young one would then learn from the older one as they are coupled together 
braced together, yoked together. And Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn from me. He's basically saying, listen, hitch your life up to me and you'll learn how to do things properly. And notice how he says he'll do it. He's going to do it lovingly and gently. He says, he doesn't say, say, look, I'm God. (laughs) Do as you're told. This is how it's going to work. With a whip. He says, look, the old King James, I love that. It says, um, it uses the word meek. That's a godly word. We don't hear that a lot. Uh, but it's good for us to be meek. And Jesus said, I am meek and lowly in heart. That's the old rendering of this translation. Humble. Jesus is very ah, gracious with us when we come to him, when we say, yes, Lord, put, put your yoke on me. It's not a tough yoke. He says, my yoke is light. Matthew Henry commented on this passage with these words, we need not fear his yoke. His commandments are holy, just, and good. It requires self-denial and exposes us to difficulties, but this is abundantly repaid, even in this world, by inward peace and joy. It is a yoke that is lined with love. That's cool, isn't it? Because you think a yoke, it's sort of like this rough wood, harsh, heavy thing, like, you know, you go to the... You know, what's the, the stocks, you know, people take their photos and, you know, they, you know, they whack them and they put the wood over them, the stocks, you know, and you think, is it like that? It's tough. No, no, this yoke is lined with love. So as we walk and work alongside Jesus with his yoke on us, we learn from him. We learn the way he does life. We pick up on his attitudes, his thoughts, the behaviours. Chris, notice when he says, learn from me, he's not just telling us, Read your Bible and learn from the instructions I gave. It's very, it's very easy when you read the Gospels to just see it as a collection of statements, commandments, teachings from Jesus. And you can obviously glean and learn a lot from approaching it that way. But it's not just a textbook. It's not just theology. You know, perhaps we could and, and should do well to look at the New Testament, the gospel accounts of Jesus more as a biography where you learn about how he lived his life, just as you do with other biographies. You know, when you read a biography, you find out about someone and their life and what happened to them in history, but you, you, you learn from them because you see that in spite of their different circumstances and experiences, there's things that they did, patterns and principles that applied to their life that helped them be successful. And you find yourself thinking, how does that work? What, what can I glean from? How can I adopt or adapt that to my life? Well, we would do well to do this with Jesus when we read the Gospels. For example, you notice how he withdrew often to go and pray. And he would seek fellowship with his heavenly father. And then he would, you know, get this quiet place, spend time and then he would be empowered to go back and carry that peace amongst all the pressure and chaos of the world that's going on around him. And so how much more when we read that do I think, huh, I probably should do that as well. I don't think I've got quite as much going on as Jesus, as busy as I may think I am. I've got a feeling he had a fair bit more and yet he made the time to draw away and spend time. So I think I really need to do that and then I can have his peace and then I can carry 
his peace, his presence, his power with me out into the world around and be some positive influence. Because, you know, you don't have to be on Instagram to be an influencer. Hello, you know, it's not, you know, there's a lot of talk of influencers and they're all young and take photos of themselves. Wouldn't that be great? Just take photos of yourself and send them all around. The world. Frosty, I think you should go for it. I think the world is waiting, really, just to see your life. You might have to, you know, just get a bit of wax or, you know, that's it. There you go. And, uh, you know, get some tight boardies on, get those beach shots with the truck in the background or something. I don't know. But, so, you know, and they're, and they're influencers and they get paid. People advertise, you know. Well, we're all influencers to some degree. You don't have to be gorgeous or young or famous or be on Instagram, but you are influencing. How are you influencing is the question. And so, as I've said, this is not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of other people that we would live in God's kingdom culture. And so Jesus in this passage here is saying basically, look, come and do life with me my way. If you've found the yoke of your life a little heavy or it's taking you in the wrong direction, if you're stressed and you're worried, then take up my yoke, my direction for your life, and you'll get rest and peace in your heart. And that's a pretty cool invitation. Now, that road still involves a yoke. Because the yoke talks of work and responsibility. So, I mean, he says his yoke is easy, his burden is light, but it's still a yoke and a burden. So it's worth noting that, that the, the life that you best live is still going to have responsibility. There's still a burden of ah, weight to do something, to carry something. There's a calling, an assignment, a mission, something that we all got to do. And that's not a bad thing because we're training ourselves to be strong for life when we carry some responsibility. To live the way Jesus lives means that we end up being able to carry on something on our shoulders. And sometimes just the stuff of life comes and bam, rests on your shoulders <laughs> a little heavier than you, than you were expecting. But you can get there because we are training and it can take time, but if we're yoked to him, we'll get there. Because listen, there's a big difference between training and trying. It's very easy to make the mistake that we will try to do what we think we need to do, to try and get the work done that God is calling us to do, to try and become that person that we know we can be, to try, uh, you know, I'm trying to be happy, right? I'm going to be very peaceful, uh, you know, and it's really not working for us because we don't have the inner strength on our own. But of course, training takes time, but it can get you there if you have the right coach. If you, for example, if I said, hey, tomorrow, let's all go and run a marathon. Come on, let's try and run a marathon. Well, most of us probably couldn't do it. But if I said, come on, let's train to run a marathon. Okay, some of us still probably couldn't do it. But many of us would be able to train our cardiovascular system, build up strength, build up healthy habits, get the miles in the legs, as the long-distance runners say, and then some weeks or months down the track, you'd cross that line and do your 42 kilometres in under five hours, which is the uh, requirements to be an official marathon time, and what do you know? You've run a marathon. So it's possible. But you're unlikely, if you haven't trained, to do it just because you try. It's something you've got to prepare and work towards. And similarly, doing life with Jesus, staying close to him, is akin to training with him. 
and developing strength in our heart and our life and adopting his way of doing things. So we will overcome stress with supernatural calm and peace. And it comes from Jesus, comes from the Holy Ghost living inside us. Because the fact is there's always something to worry about, especially when there's negative things going on in our lives beyond our control. But with the Lord, when we're yoked to Jesus, even when there are things that we can't change, they don't have to affect us so badly because we're hitched up to the one who has it all under control, who's never stressed, he's created the world with his words, he'll figure out how he's going to wrap it all up, he rules sovereignly over it in the meantime, in the meantime, so he's cool. Now one of the things that prevents us from enjoying the rest that Jesus offers is to be yoked to this worldly culture of, of rush, of hurry, and, uh, you know, in some workplaces, the culture is maybe not spoken in so many words, but the culture says, listen, if you want to get ahead here, you've got to give everything you've got and then some. Time-wise, energy, your whole life, you, we need you. You've got to put it all in and then you might succeed. And so in our attempts to be successful in some careers, some of us are suffering. Some people have got sick. Some have, some have literally worked themselves to death. In fact, the Japanese who are famous for their work ethic, their high level of hard work, have a word for it, karoshi. And it translate, translates into English as death by overwork. And one of the most famous uh, victims and examples was, of this was a guy called Kamei Shuji. He was a high-flying stockbroker back in the 80s, regularly put in 90-hour work weeks, Boom times, his company publicly praised his efforts, his superhuman stamina. They used him in their training manuals as the gold standard for all new employees to follow. They even, they even got him to coach the more experienced senior colleagues in the firm because he was so successful as a salesman in stockbroking. And that added to his workload because he was doing all these extra sessions with the seniors. Then the stock market bubble burst in 1889 and uh, he worked even longer hours to pick up the slack to make things work. A year later he died suddenly of a heart attack. He was 26 years old. So that's the worst of this hurry culture that can get us. And it's not just the high achievers who need to take a chill pill or to change yokes. Of course, we all laugh at the Type A people. I heard a preacher recently do that. Just last week, actually, having a not so subtle dig at her husband for being some psycho choleric guy that's got to get everything done on time. All right, so I'll be going home listening to this message myself. Um, but it's not just for those who race around, you know. There's, regardless of our personality type, we can all be drawn away from Jesus and from the invitation that he gives or from responding to that invitation because we can, um, you know, maybe you don't rush or hurry, but maybe you just find other ways of being distracted away from him. 
you know, by stuff. Because the fact is, many Christians, the main danger they face, that they face, is not that they're going to wake up one morning and just deny the Lord. I've decided to backslide. You know, heaven doesn't look that good. I think hell is appealing. You know, no one's, I'm going to follow Satan instead of Jesus. Now, you know, it's, it's not kind of how the thought processes work. But the danger is not that we'll willingly turn from God, but that they, people will just get distracted. That they'll just get preoccupied with the things in the world so that they don't have enough time for God. Uh, Pastor John Mark Comer has written a great book about hurry and spiritual health. Uh, and he says, The noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the one input that we most need. And of course, when we're distracted from God, we're not hearing his voice. Well, we end up with, we'll live a sad, mediocre version of the life that we were really called to live. And an author by the name of William Irvin um, calls this misliving. He says this, There is a danger that you will mislive, that despite all your activity, despite all the pleasant diversions you might have enjoyed while alive, you will end up living a bad life. There is, in other words, the danger that when you are on your deathbed, you will look back and realise that you wasted your one chance of living and instead of spending your life pursuing something genuinely valuable, you squandered it because you allowed yourself to be distracted by the various baubles life has to offer. You know, baubles, the Christmas tree you know, lights. Ah. And so uh, that's pretty harsh, but quite true, I think, sadly, for some people. So we need to stop occasionally ah, and listen to God and look for him, spend time with him, rest in him. And, you know, that's why God has commanded the Sabbath because it is a commandment and, we, you know, we might think, oh, I don't need to be told not to work. <laughs> that comes easy, sure. But, but really the Sabbath isn't just a day off. The Sabbath at its best is not just a time where you just say, right, I've got to run around and get all these things done and do all your errands and, and, and work around the house. Busy yourself with fun activities but have no time or room or space or thought for God. It's a holy day. So it's a day for rest, but it's also a day for worship, to enjoy life with God, not without him. And so to slow down and to be quiet enough and still enough that we actually hear his voice. That's the best of the Sabbath. And that's why it says, Psalm 46.10, you know this verse, God says to us, be still and know that I am God. And the implication there is that you'll miss God. You might forget that God is God if you're not still, if you're rushing and racing around. I mean, I know a guy who's sometimes leaving the room when his wife's talking and he's thinking he can carry on the conversation. It's one of those type A, annoying, choleric, got to get it all done kind of people. And so Ruth knows this guy quite well. And so she will say, now what we're doing is, and what do you think? How do you feel about that? Yep, yep. Keep going. I, yeah, I can hear you. Come on and say, yeah. And then, oh, she just won't multitask. The conversation stops. No, carry on. Oh, no, I realise now what's happened. Okay, I've got to go down and sit down. Right. <laughs> because if you're racing and running, you just can't hear that voice. You just say, speak louder. I'm down. It's all right. You know? <laughs> okay, but all right, all right. All right, I'll have a little dig then. My kids are like this one. Here we go. 
Someone show me a mobile phone. What's the first word? Mobile. So here, <laughs> Bevany's onto this. So, I, you know, like, it's all very well to stop. I mean, I'm preaching this, right? It's all very good, be still, you know. But it don't, the Bible doesn't say be still in the middle of air and affair and stop when you've got a mobile phone to have a conversation. It's a mobile phone. And so if you're, sometimes she'll get a call or a text or something and she'll be like, hmm, hi, you know. Well, and Bethany's, she's like, Mum, it's a mobile phone. Keep moving. We can, we can do two things at once. All right, there you go, babe. Touche, a little dig. But, um, but back to the message, it's good to be still and know, Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. So the question, when's the last time you sat down and were still before God for more than five minutes? You know, even just, I remember hearing a preacher once saying, um, don't even have your Bible. I mean, do your Bible study, sure. And I tend to sit down before the Lord with the Bible. But what about not even having the word for today, message, the, the devotional or the Christian book you're reading or the Bible? Or your, What about just sitting before the Lord? And maybe not with other people or with other distractions. Just sit and be still, you know. And so maybe we need to take, a little bit more room and time in our calendar for him. And this is, and Isaiah tells us what happens when we are still before God, when we focus on him. Uh, Isaiah 26 verse 3, and you may know this verse as well. He says, you, that's God, you, Lord, will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So there's the peace that we're talking about and it comes when our mind is, is stayed on God or fixed on God. Or here's the New Living Translation of that same verse. You will keep in perfect peace, Lord, all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And so you can't help but get peace in your heart if you are focusing on the Lord. If you are thinking of him, spending time with him, walking with him, praying and fellowshipping him, and not praying by, oh God, I need this, this and this, amen, but a prayer of fellowship, prayer of of relationship, a prayer of encounter. And, uh, and, so th- and of course, that touches on the whole issue of our thought life, the battle that goes on in our mind, what's, what's capturing our thoughts. You can't stop every thought that gets in your mind, but you can be disciplined about which ones you'll reflect on, ponder on, come back to, build up on. And then here we have this fear coming because we're thinking about this thing, or are we counteracting that by focusing on the Lord? looking at his promises, like Ruth was saying, before you get fear, go overwhelming, you get Psalm 91 out, stick it on your fridge or walk around the house and quote it and proclaim it over your life and that will fill you with faith rather than fear. And so whatever we think about, we're creating room in our life for. We're going to be, we're going to be following that train of thought down a certain pathway to have our life altered what we're focusing on. And so obviously let's Focus, focus on the Lord, not just on the, the news of the day. Meditate on his word. Well, I'll come to a close. Um, let me just say, there's a lot of talk of mindfulness these days. And, uh, and I think the best application of that concept is to be mindful of Jesus. Yeah, of his love for us. And for that call 
that he gives that beckons us into a deeper relationship with him. And let me finish by reading the original passage from Matthew eleven twenty eight, but from the message version. You may have heard this beautiful where Jesus says, come to me. This is the paraphrase, modern version in message. Are you tired? Once you close your eyes, just, just where you are right now at home or here, in the auditorium, just close your eyes, look to the Lord and listen to these words, this this invitation from the Lord Jesus himself. He says to us, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Lord, we do respond to you today and come to you and want to walk with you and be influenced by you and by your culture. Thank you, Lord. Touch everyone here today. Help us to walk with you. Shine your light. And you know, if you need the Lord in your life, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, I encourage you to talk to someone. If you're watching online, you send us an email. We'll have someone call you if you like or respond and send you literature. If you're here today, we'll pray with you. Very important that we all are right with God, relationship with God. Not just that we have a hope of heaven when we leave this earth, but right now, right here, we walk with confidence, peace, and the joy of God deep in our heart in spite of whatever's going on. Thank you, Lord, touching every life here today. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.